Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? What good is work? What good is work for me? What good is work in general? What good is work from a biblical standpoint? We started talking about this last week, that work is something that God gives us, that it's impossible to have a good life without good work. We have to bring our definitions, we have to bring our expectations under God's authority and understand what God intends to do. So last week I tried to make this theological statement that our view of work is skewed, it's broken, it's informed by the world, and because of that we don't experience the blessing that God has for it. I tried to show you that work existed before the fall. Work isn't caught up under the fall, that work is good and a provision of God and life-giving when we do it God's way. And if you sat here, you probably had this simple question. If that is true, if what you're saying is true, then why do I hate it so much? Why is it so hard? Why is Monday morning the worst morning of the week? Why, why is work so hard? Why isn't it my experience if it is what is so clear in the Bible. Now, you can't understand your experience now if you don't understand how it began and how it got to where it is now. So in Genesis chapter 1, we go back to the creation account, and what we see in Genesis 1 and verse 31 is that God says this about his creation. He says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? How much? How much of what he had made? Everything that God has made was very good. And there was an evening and there was the morning, the sixth day. God says, this thing that I have made, this thing that I have created, this work that I have done, it's very good. And a part of the thing that God did was he created a garden, he created a man, he put that man in the garden, and he gave man dominion over the garden. In other words, he gave man a job. And he says, this is very good. This is very good. And Adam's reality wasn't that he had a prolonged vacation until the fall. His reality was that he worked before the fall. Work existed. Work was easy. Work was productive. Work was enjoyable. Adam never came home from working in the field and had Eve say, how was work today? Because she already knew. She already knew how it was. She already knew that it was great. She already knew that it grew. She already knew that the sun was a perfect temperature, unlike what it has been the last few days. Come on, somebody. Yeah, she already knew that Adam had a great time, that Adam loved working, that he loved spending time with God, that he loved the productivity, that it was life-giving and fulfilling to him. So what happened? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, God lets us know that he put choice in the garden, that he put an opportunity for obedience in the garden. In Genesis 2 and verse 9, it says that out of the ground the Lord God made a spring of every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, I make this incredible garden. There's the tree of life and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen, there are some things that God doesn't want you to know. There are some things that God doesn't want you to know. We live in this time. I can't understand it unless I do it. That's not true in the Bible. There are certain experiences you're never supposed to have. There are certain things you're never supposed to know. There are certain things you're never supposed to go through. It happened all the way back in the garden. Yes, this thing exists. No, I don't want you to know it or participate in it. What happened? Adam and Eve 
partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One day they are hanging out around, and that's how sin always works, by the way. You just kind of hang out. I'm not doing anything yet, just uh, 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 right? Hanging out around. Eve gets close to the tree. The serpent shows up. Adam's in the background with his hands in his pocket and a dumb look on his face. Eve takes of the fruit, gives it to Eve. They both eat of it, and they literally cast the world into sin and death. And with it, work. With it, work. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, God is speaking to Adam. He says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Work isn't cursed, okay? The ground is cursed. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat of the plants of the field. But the sweat of your face, by it you shall eat your bread till you return the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Before the fall work exists, it is good, very good. It is a blessing. It is enjoyable. It is productive. Work exists on the other side of the fall. The ground is cursed, meaning now you sweat. Now it's hard. Now the garden grows, and so do the weeds. Now you hate your boss. Now you don't get paid enough. Now the lights are going out in the auditorium. What's happening? We good? Can you all see me in my bald head? Whoa, now you can. Now you can. Okay, are you with me? This is, this is the reality of the garden. Now, what does that have to do with our, our current reality? Well, let me ask you this. Let me, I'm going to name some movies you see if, you, if, you, if you've seen them. All right, here we go. Uh, office Space. Don't raise your hand, okay? Clerks. Nine to Five. The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Horrible Bosses One and Two. Yeah, Parks and Rec, The Office, Succession, Severance. Okay, what, what is the theme? Work is lame, work is corrupt, bosses are stupid, cruel, or evil. That's the message that we get. Wrap it in whatever you want. Wrap it in Louis Vuitton or put it in Scranton, Scranton, Pennsylvania. The same idea. Okay, here's some songs. You want some songs? Okay, number one. Working Man. Yeah, Rush. Okay. She works hard for the money. <laughs> That's true. Come on, somebody. All right. <laughs> Cats in the cradle. Don't listen to it. You'll cry if you're a parent. Hard day's night. Beatles. Working nine to five. Yeah. Merle Haggard, a working man, can't get nowhere today. Or my favorite, take this job. You can shove it. That's what you can do. By Johnny Paycheck, ironically. Come to think of it, every country music song I have ever heard. My dog died. My spouse is awful. My job's terrible. You listen to it backward, dog comes back to life. Your spouse is great, and you get your job back. That's how it works. Okay, so we know these songs. We watch these movies. We come home at the end of the day, and your spouse says, how was work today? And they legitimately don't know the answer. What's happening? What's happening is that even though we don't have words for it, we know that there's something, there's something wrong with our relationship to work. We don't exactly know how to say it. Hey, how's work going? Ah, it's all right. How's, how's, stuff, with, how's stuff with your boss? Ah, how's sales? Uh, how's supply chain? Mm. All right. Are you enjoying work? Ah, I don't know. 
not really. I'm looking forward to vacation. Work? No. I just, uh, I don't know. We feel that even if work isn't a curse, it is cursed. This is what the Bible says. So watch, work is hard on this side of the fall. That's what God said. Work, work is hard. Now weeds are going to grow. Now you're going to sweat. Now you're going to get sideways with your co-work. And now you're going to be underpaid. Now the pension isn't going to come through, right? Work is hard. It's, it's hard in general, and work is hard on us. Work is hard on us. 65%, this is pre-COVID, of Americans say work is their highest stress. Now think of that pendulum swing from going to Eve not even having to ask how is work today to now 65% of us saying work is the worst part of my week. It's the most stressful. 70% of Americans say their work is so stressful it negatively affects their home life. The part I bring home from work is the bad part. 37% say they are managing it well. 70% say it's the worst part of me. I bring it home. It's messing with my marriage. About 35% of us say, right now it's not going too bad. Half. 62% say they have physical pain that they attribute to their work. I'm sick because of work. It hurts because of work. It's broken because of work. And then here's my two favorite, all right? 25% say they have felt like screaming at work. You're at the office tomorrow and someone just starts screaming. Ah, oh, 25%. There it is. Had to be one of the four of us. And then this is by far my favorite. All right, 14% say they have fantasized about striking a coworker. You're about to scream when I punch you in the throat. That's what it is. So work is hard. Work is hard on us. And work is hard in us. So what is it? What is the thing that we feel inside of us. It's the fall. It, it's, it's the fall. It's this isn't the way our creator intended it. This isn't the way God intended it. This isn't the way it's supposed to work. So one of three responses to that reality, because at some point or currently all of us feel it, one of three responses, you can power up and play along, right? It's broken, it's rigged, but I, I just got to beat you. Right? And so I'm going to lie, cheat, steal, step on you, step over you, go through you, because i got to get mine. It's just the way it is. It's how the market works. Right? We develop a world view around, it's a rat race, i just got to be bigger than you. i just got to be smarter than you. And if i got to take from you to get mine, sorry, that's the system. That's a, that's, that's a response. The second, power up and play along, or we lament and we get lazy, okay? We make excuses. Talk about the system's broken, the man, man. The man's trying to hold me down, man. Who's the man? I don't know, but he's up there somewhere and he's holding me down. Yeah, the politicians are trying to ruin my life. Politicians don't know who you are. The man don't know who you are, okay? A lot of us come up with these excuses why our work ethic is what it is. Why our reputation is what it is. Why we're the ones who are always complaining but never producing. And if you don't know anybody like that in your office, it's because it's you. And we all look at you. And you're the one who's always whining and never working. Yeah. Power up and play along. Or lament and get lazy. Or, or and this is, this is what I hope you do. We get clarity 
about the diagnosis. I know it's wrong, so why is it wrong? So that we can be healed. So we, we get clarity so we can be cured. Have you ever gone to the doctor and said, Doc, X, Y, Z is happening, and he looks at you and says, I don't know why. It's frustrating, right? What do you mean you don't know why? You went to school for 38 years? Tell me you don't know why? What are you writing on that, that clipboard, right? Yeah. I came in with a thing. All I want is to know what's wrong. Why? Because there's freedom in a diagnosis. It gives you an opportunity. It gives you a choice. A lot of us, listen, we're living our life working according to the course of this world. And we know it doesn't work, but we don't know why it doesn't work. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to do it God's way. So let me just give you the punchline. Our answer is the gospel. Now that sounds very esoteric and very out there. So here's, here's what I need you to understand. The gospel is an empty tomb, which means victory over the curse of sin and death. So when I say we are working on the wrong side of the curse and work is caught up in it, if you are a Bible believer, you believe that the gospel and the power of Jesus and victory over sin and death should affect your work. It should affect your work. If you're a Christian, you should think differently about work. You should do work differently. You should process work differently. You should not be the power up or the lament and get lazy. Because you know what the problem is. And you know what the solution is. The solution is Jesus. And you're supposed to bring him and you're supposed to mimic him, and you're supposed to talk about him so that people can get to know him. But the reality of it is that we live in a day, we have thorns and thistles, don't we? Yeah, modern day thorns and thistles. Now, um, I think the pandemic kind of shook this. If, if, if I gave this talk 10 years ago, the ground has kind of moved around work with the pandemic. Um, and I thought about this a while. Like, ha has it actually moved? And, and here's, here's what I think has happened. How many of y'all watch uh, the docuseries Quarterback on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, y'all are liars. It's the number one show on Netflix. We're just reading our Bible, Pastor. I don't know. I, didn't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know this Netflix of which you speak. Yeah, whatever. Y'all watched it, all right? Um, there's a, there's a, an episode where they're talking about the mind of the quarterback. And, and it's interesting, the quarterbacks are studying schemes largely to try to identify where the blitz is coming from. Are you all tracking with me right now? Okay, same thing is true in the spiritual. You gotta figure out where the blitz is coming from. The blitz doesn't stop. The enemy only has a couple schemes. He only has a couple things that he's trying to do. He's trying to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's it. There's only three schemes. But if he knows that you can block the blitzer again and again and again, he's not going to say, oh, shoot, I really wanted to sack the quarterback. No, no. He's going to move the blitzer. He's going to move the attack. And part of spiritual warfare is to know where the attack is coming from so you can block it in the name of Jesus. Sorry for the sports references. You know what I'm saying, though, right? I don't think that work has fundamentally changed. I think the blitz has changed, and I think the job of the Christian is to identify the spiritual linebacker. He's coming. Why? Because God created work. Because God says that work is good. Because God says that he uses work and that work is a blessing, which means that the enemy hates work. Which means that the enemy wants to manipulate and destroy work, which means that he wants to turn that blessing into destruction, which means that he wants you to work a certain way. The question is, how is he attacking you? And that's what I want to try to help you with 
today. Three schemes of the enemy. Three schemes of the enemy. Three things that make work go wrong. Are you with me? Okay. Number one, when work becomes our identity. When work becomes our identity. In 2015, which feels like 100 years ago, but is inside of this decade, the New York Times wrote an enormous controversial expose article called Inside Amazon. You know where all your money goes. And the subtitle was Wrestling Big Ideas Inside of a Bruising Workplace. And here's a couple of the quotes. One of the employees said, it's the greatest place I hated working. It's the greatest place I hated working. The article said that the average tenure at Amazon was 12 months. One year. One year. And it said this, when you have that much turnover, the risk is people are seen as fungible. You know that tomorrow you're going to look around and people are going to have left or been managed out. In other words, in certain workplaces, people stop being human and they start being commodities. You stop being a human, you just start being a thing. We, we have a word for it. I'm just a spoke in the wheel. I'm not a person anymore with dignity, doing a dignified thing that I call work. No, I'm just a part of the process, and we know I'm a replaceable part of the process. Another quote, nearly every person I worked with, I saw cry at their desk. Careful where you put your money, y'all. Just saying. And then here's the one that I want, I want to hang on the rim of. Dina Vicari was at Amazon for seven years. And listen to what she says. Listen to her words. I was so addicted to wanting to be successful there. For those of us who went to work there, it was like a drug that we could get self-worth from. Here's the scheme. To connect your worth to your work. That's the scheme. Now, the ground might have moved. You might be working from home or working in a different place or have gone into a different genre of work, but the enemy still intends you to connect your worth to your work. Now, it's understandable that we spend this much time doing this thing, probably about 150,000 hours in your lifetime. And at some level, it should be a part of your identity. So, so here's mine. First, I'm a Christian. I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a friend, I'm a boss, I'm an employee, and I'm a pastor. All of those things make me who I am. Now, the order that I put them in and how much emphasis I give to, but for you to say work is not a part of my identity would be silly. Of course it is. You're spending 40% of your life doing it. That's not the concern. The danger isn't that it provides identity. The danger is, that when it, is when it becomes your identity. When you look to it to give you ultimate fulfillment and ultimate satisfaction. Now, here's the problem, and we just experienced this. What happens when the company underperforms and you get laid off? What happens when you underperform and get laid off? What happens when it comes time to retire? What happens when the pandemic happens and you can't do it? Does it bother you or does it crush you? And here's how I want you to think about this. In your work environment, bad things are going to happen. Yeah. We live in a fallen world. But some of us, on a scale of one to 10, the thing that happens is a two and our reaction is a seven. The two is on, is on, is on them, is on it. But the other five, 
are either tied to your past, this happened at the last job I worked, or your identity. That's the only two ways that you can evaluate it. Some of us are walking around and our identity is based on how well work is going. Some of us are losing sleep. Some of us are stressed out. Some of us, our marriage is in the tank because of work. Some of us, all we think about is work and we're carrying it around on a little computer that we call our iPhone. And we work all the time because we don't know what to do with our hands when we're not working. And when the boss does something to us, it's not about your pay or your job description. It's about that he's attacking you. Does it bother you? Or does it crush you emotionally? Does it crush you relationally? Is work ruining your marriage? Does it crush you spiritually? I can't come to prayer, I gotta work. Really? You can't come to prayer, you gotta work. Are you on the afternoon shift? No. So what's gonna happen if you don't work late over the next three weeks? Well, something terrible. Really, what? What's more important than you praying? What's more important than you coming to, come into this building and calling out to God for your family and for your faith and for your future? What's more important? The P&L? No, no, your identity is what's at stake. Your identity is what's at stake. Now listen, you may, you may have a terrible job. You may have a terrible boss, but listen to me. Work is always a terrible boss. You might have a terrible job at work, but if work is your boss, work is a terrible boss. And work is an even worse God. Work is a, work is a terrible boss, but it is a completely incompetent, soul-sucking God. And so in Exodus chapter 20, listen to what God says. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Watch how he connects slavery and idolatry. I'm God. I set you free. Don't worship other gods. So listen, anything that you worship, find ultimate identity in other than the God of the Bible will put you in slavery. It is not capable of giving you anything else. It is not capable of producing anything else. It has to steal from you it does not intend to give to you. And we've, done a mis we've made a mistake in the church with this. We've conveyed a God who's about the rules and your obedience, and God says, no, 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 I'm the only God who intends to set you free. The God of the Bible is the God who intends to set you free. We have taught people the God of the Bible is the one who intends to make you obey and haven't taught them that your obedience is what sets you free. That doing it God's way is what sets you free. The inverse is not true. Doing it anything outside of God's will and best puts you in bondage. You do marriage any other way than what God says? Bondage. You do finances any other way than what God says? Bondage. You do sex any other way than what God says? Bondage. You do your finances. Did I already say your finances? You do work. Any other, you do anything outside of what God says. It's not, oh, now God's mad. No, you're living like a slave. You're living like a slave, and you have a master who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy you. Only the God of the Bible says, this is who I am. I get you out of slavery. Everything else intends to put you in slavery. So here's the scheme. 
The scheme is your work and your worth. Your work and your worth. Doesn't matter where you work. Doesn't matter what market you're in. Doesn't matter who your boss is. Is your worth overconnected to your work? Number two, when work becomes our escape. When work becomes our escape. For most of us, we have two primary sectors of our life. We have work and we have home. Now, some of us, were trying to mess with those, and we put in hobbies and other kinds of things, but largely the responsible citizens in the room spend the vast majority of their time at work or at home. So let's compare the two, okay? Are you with me? Okay. Work offers us some measure of control. It offers us some measure of control because it feels more objective. I know that if I sell the thing, I will likely get a raise. And if I get a raise, then with that comes status and some level of notoriety. If I don't sell the thing, I likely won't get the raise and what comes with it. I know that if I fix the pipe, write the code, do the deal, ipso facto, this thing leads to another thing. Are you with me? It's simple. It's objective. Does home feel that way to you? No, not really. Here's the deal. Um, Turns out, when I got married, (laughs) I married a sinner. No one told me this. I mean, I believed Disney that once we got married, everything was going to be wonderful. And turns out, (laughs) she's got stuff. Turns out, she comes from a family And they really have stuff. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Turns out that the man that I married comes from a family, and they're crazy. And they got to come over every holiday and ruin my life. Yeah. Turns out my family tree isn't just about me and the person I married. Turns out I have family trees coming in from both sides, and I don't like either of them. (laughs) Turns out when we did the thing that married people do, We had a baby that we thought was going to be precious. Turns out, baby's a sinner too. (laughs) Turns out, turns out, that baby grows up, eats my food, doesn't do what I tell them to do. (laughs) Turns out, I tell them to do something, they disrespect and argue with me. Turns out, They've got personalities and a will. And turns out, I married a sinner, but turns out, <laughs> I, she did too, yeah. <laughs> I say dumb stuff, I do dumb stuff. I'm told that I snore from time to time. I don't always put the toilet seat down. Turns out, it feels pretty complicated. Work, simple, home, Work full of potential, right? I do the thing, I sell the widget, I fix the code, I unclog the pipe, I get a raise. There's verticality, and with that raise comes more money and more things. Home, not vertical. Home is horizontal. I go to the same home, to the same person, I take out the same trash, I eat the same food, I argue with the same kids, I let out the same dog, I watch the same shows for the rest of my life. Work vertical, home horizontal. 
At work, the verticality is public, simple, vertical, public, right? People tell me I do a good job. People tell me that was, that was a good talk, that was a good presentation, that was a good doodad, right? At home, nobody tells me anything. They just complain about what I do. Take out the dishes, or take out the trash, do the dishes. You put it in the wrong place. It's not cleaned, it's just picked up. How many times do we have to talk about this? Every time I turn around, I'm doing something wrong. And sometimes I do the right thing and the husband still complains. Sometimes I, I handled it well, I said it well, I had the right heart, I was filled with the spirit and he's still not happy. At work, I do the right thing, they said good job. At home, I do the right thing, nobody cares. I know how to win at work, right? I know how to win at work. I just do my job, do your job, and you'll win at work. At home, I don't know how to win. I don't know how to please this man. I don't know how to please this woman. I don't know, I don't know how, how much more do I have to give to these kids. I can't, I cannot win. This is for free, by the way. If you're married, you better make sure that your spouse feels like they can win. Because if they don't feel like they can win with you, they'll find a place they can win. I'm not saying it's right. Don't hear that as justification. But do hear that as the human heart needs to know that it's valuable somewhere. And if you are constantly telling your spouse, you're a loser, you're stupid, you can't win, you're not enough, I promise you, the enemy will give them a linebacker who gives them value someplace. I like who I am at work. I don't like who I am at home. I like who I am with some of my coworkers. I like who I am on my business card. And what does it do? <clears throat> Over time, it creates compartments. And I am somebody at work, and I'm not that person at home. I, I'm, I'm successful at work. I'm a loser at home. I'm respected at work. I'm disrespected at home. I'm valued. At work, I'm not valued at home. I'm on a team at work. I have to do it all at home, right? And what happens over time is I'm compartmentalized. So here's the scheme. First is, is your work and, um, and your self-worth. Second is your work and your wholeness. Your wholeness, okay? So in Joshua chapter 6, God tells the people of Israel... Go walk around Jericho and have it fall down. They do. They achieve this incredible victory. Next chapter, they fight a lesser enemy and they lose. And Joshua's like, what in the world just happened? And God says there's sin in the camp. And they find somebody who's stashing, you know, loot in his tent. They deal with the sin. God says, go back and attack AI. They go and they win this time. Okay? House has got to be clean. The house has got to be clean. At the end of that victory, Joshua 8 and verse 31, listen to what it says, that Joshua built an altar of uncut stones upon which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings there. The word uncut is the word shalem. It's where we get the word shalom. We think that, peace, that shalom means peace. It actually means whole. 
So wholeness is what produces peace. The opposite is not always true. Uncut stones. Go over to Romans chapter 12 and listen to what Paul says. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. On what kind of an altar? An altar, I would say, of uncut stones. Here's what I mean by that. God doesn't want the public you and the private you. God doesn't want the home you and the work you. God doesn't want the church you and the rest of time you. God wants all of you. God wants the whole of you. And the greater the difference between you at other places, the greater the lack of shalom in your soul. The part that you hold back is the part that you are in bondage to. So watch, fellas, a lot of us, you're a rock star at work and you're lazy at home. Ladies, a lot of us are kind at work and nasty at home. A lot of us have time for our coworkers at work, but stare at a screen at home. A lot of us are well-behaved and love Jesus on Sunday, but I know what y'all did on Friday. <laughs> what is it? It's not about morality, it's about wholeness. I wanna be the same person. Now the reality of it is the whole me has some buffoonery in all of it, okay? This, this, this is not me. I hope you know that. This is the very best version, and you still see how crazy it is. Say crazy things, embarrass my kids and my wife, right? Yeah, this, this, this is not the whole me. This is me doing a thing. Do not think that me preaching is me. No, no, we've got to spend time together. The, the whole me still needs grace. But I want the whole me to be the whole me in whatever environment I'm in. It still ain't pretty. You hear what I'm saying? I still need Jesus. But I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be compartmentalized. And I don't mean it for you. I mean it for me. Because compartmentalization means I'm coming apart at the seams. And the enemy wants to use work to create a lack of wholeness in you. So what does he do? He overconnects your worth to your work because he knows your work can't give you worth. And you overinvest in what can't give you worth and it pulls you part of the seams and you give your best to a cup with a hole in the bottom of it and you gain the whole world and you lose your marriage. And you lose your kids, and you lose your soul. Where's the linebacker? I know you work for a different company post-COVID. I know you work at home post-COVID. The attacks are still the same. The attacks are still the same. The enemy still works the same way. And then lastly, when work becomes separate from our calling. When work becomes separate from our calling. Are you still with me? Yeah. When work becomes our identity, the scheme is work and worth. When work becomes our escape, the scheme is work and wholeness. When work becomes separate from our identity. The word vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. You think your vocation is how you get paid. Oh, no. When you call your kids to dinner, that's vocare. You call them from one thing to another. You call them from what they were doing to what you want them to do. That's the, that's the word vocation. The problem is that most of our vocations is separate from our purpose. 
And this is the reason that everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> Written by Loverboy. This is where we're getting our theology, y'all. Loverboy. This is also, by the way, the reason you hate Monday, because it's the furthest away from the weekend. You thought it was because you had to get up early. You can't sleep in anyways. If you've got kids, you can't. No, no, it's the furthest away from the thing that you think you're living for. And so what do we do? I go to a job that is literally irrelevant. This is dumb. There's no point in this. This gives me no fulfillment. I don't enjoy it. There's no blessing. It's not good. I hate my boss. They're underpaying me. And so what do I do? I do one of two things. Either I do the least amount to get the job done. And so I just scrape by. I just pull the lever. I punch in. And I do it for 40 years. I'm just existing. This isn't a life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do as little as possible until I retire, and then I'm going to start living. Let's think about this for a second, okay? Do you know that the Bible says that the span of human life on average is three score and ten, 70 years? Okay. This is also the reason, by the way, that in our culture, the world is so enamored with longevity. It's Tower of Babel kind of stuff. I'm going to beat death. I'm going to beat death. That's another sermon. 70 years. So let me get this straight. The plan is I'm going to be as miserable and do as little with as little dignity and as little blessing until I'm 65 in order to probably be dead when I'm 70. Okay. You do what you want. I'm not saying it's a terrible plan. I'm just saying you're awful at math. This is the American dream. For me to have a terrible life until I'm too old to enjoy the life? Until my health is gone and my kids are gone and my relationships are gone? Like, that's when I have money to start living? I don't know. I want purpose now. I want blessing now. I, 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 I want to know that I'm making a dent now. I don't want to be bored now. I want to be excited about work now. There was a study a few years ago called Death by Boredom. They did a study of British civil servants between 35 and 55 who described their lives as boring. And they found out that they were 250% more likely to die of heart issues. This is not just theology, y'all. This is God's way, God's will, God's kingdom being brought to bear on our experience. God says, I didn't create you for this. You say, oh, it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Doing anything outside of God's way does damage to us. Does damage to us. And so here's the scheme to separate work and purpose. To separate, if I could say it, work and ministry. Okay, so watch what happens. The enemy's attack, here's the linebacker, is to make your purpose temporal. Why do you go to work? So I can make as much money as I possibly can. That's a bad reason. Well, I'm just trying to make as much money so I can get more stuff, make more memories, memories and have money when I'm mature and retire. No, that's, that's, that's not going to work. The enemy's, okay, well then, I want respect. 
Okay, but what do you do when a pandemic happens and you lose your job? What do you do when a new boss comes in and you get laid off? What do you do when the company goes belly up? What do you do when under the sovereignty of God, bad things happen? Because they do. What do you do? So the enemy says, take your purpose and attach it to earthly things or take your work and abandon your ministry. And this is where we come up with, I'm too busy to be in a small group. I'm too busy to be on the dream team. I'm too busy to come from 21. Busy with what? What are you too busy? To disciple somebody. You're too busy to pray? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not criticizing you, but I'm calling out the reality of things. The linebacker has already turned the corner on the left tackle. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by our works, we're saved to good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the grid, and then I'm in my seat. Are you still with me? Yeah. It's called SHAPE. It's an acronym, and I'll, I'll give it to you, and then I'll go back. S, spiritual gifts. H, heart. A, abilities. P, personality. E, experience. How do I know what my purpose is? Number one, you need to know what your spiritual gifts are. Pre-COVID, just over 80% of Christians did not know what their spiritual gifts were. This is the reason that we have small uh, growth track, y'all. To try to teach these things to you. Know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose so you can make a difference. If you don't know your gifts, you can't know your ministry. If you don't know your ministry, you can't know your calling. If you don't know your calling, you can't know your purpose. You can't know the good work that God created you to do. What's the good work God put you on this planet to do? Now, for some of us, it's the same, but there's something distinct about your calling. We need you to do you. What is you? Who are you? What are you gifts? H, heart. Here it is. If money weren't an option, I would love to fill in the blank. If money weren't an option, I would love to, what? That's where your heart is. And watch, the same God who gave you those gifts can give you desires. And what you're going to find out once you start to think about this is that your gifts and your desires go hand in glove because the same God gave you both. Next is your abilities. These aren't your spiritual gifts. These are your natural skills and talents. Next is your personality. Are you an introvert, an extrovert? Do you like tasks? Or people, have you taken a personality test? Myers-Briggs, DISC, uh, Enneagram. None of them are the Bible, but I want you to know who you are. Why? So you can know what your creator intends you to be. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. How did God make you? What is God calling you to? And then lastly, what's your experience? Where do you work? What have you done? Where'd you go to school? Who do you know? What has happened in your life? And watch. All of these fall under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God. God is bigger than all these things. God is shaping all these things. So over the next, let's just call it 21 days. <laughs> I want you to sit down and write out your shape. Sit down in the quiet and pray, God, I believe that you have purpose for me, but I need to know what it is. So will you speak to me? 
And listen, the bigger the gap between where you work and who God created you to be, the less shalom there is. The less shalom there is. So I want you to sit down and I want you to hear from God. It doesn't mean go quit your job. Okay? Tim said quit my job. No, I didn't. It means pray, seek God, make a plan, talk to a pastor, start a small group, go on a mission trip, take a step in faith. And for some of you, what you're going to see is that your job is in this season to pay your bills while you take steps toward your purpose. Work is purposeful in and of itself, but here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to invite God into your nine to five. Invite God into your nine to five. And here's what I need you to understand. If you have not invited God into your nine to five, you do not see the spiritual linebacker. Why? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So I stand. I'm standing on what God says is true. I'm standing on who God is. You need to hear from God. God says work is good. Your experience isn't. He's not wrong. Take these next 21 days and among other things, Begin to seek him for your purpose in this time and place, his glory and our blessing. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. God, we love you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the work that you have called us to. God, I do thank you for um, all of these things that happen in our life that your word exposes and clarifies. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Lord, we want to be a blessing in this time and place. Help us to know how to do it. Help us to believe you when you say work is for our good and is good and that you use it. Be at work in our lives over these next 21 days. Lord, we need it. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen.